Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Ugh, shouldn't just drink whiskey on an empty stomach. Does anyone know who Anna Marie or whatever her name... The, the apparently only person that sings the music video lady. What's that now? What? The one, the person that sings the song that they all do the music video to, basically. Oh, you mean the weird, like, breaking the fourth wall? <laughs> <laughs> Just occurs all of a sudden. <laughs> I was Even like, the, the chick's Odine, and she's still singing along. <laughs> I am completely drawn out now, because I don't know who the hell this is, and I would say that all these people would not know this song. It's are not you, like Journey started playing. Are you talking about the actual, like, singer? Like, the, like Amy, yeah. Amy Mann or whatever? Amy Mann or, yeah. Yeah. I was like, mm. no one know, uh, knows Amy Mann this well. <laughs> they would all just sing along to this random song. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that soon. That's where I said this isn't real. The beginning of the podcast, <laughs> I, so with old movies, I said that the, the entire plot was written around, like, a finishing statement, right? Well, this whole movie was written around that song. Like, the director heard that song was like, I'm going to write a movie. I think he just heard someone say, it's song. raining cats and dogs out there, and he's like, wait a minute. <laughs> dogs want rhymes with frogs. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's, start, let's start this off. Let's start the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to episode 29 of Working Title, the podcast where we review the top 250 English-language movies on IMBD. Uh, what are we going over today? We are going to talk about the um, 1999 uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film Magnolia. And uh, what is Magnolia? What is Magnolia about? Fuck if I know. I don't know. <laughs> now it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Um, this movie feels like. If Wes Anderson and Christopher Nolan had a baby, and that baby had daddy issues <laughs> and grew up to direct movies, this is what that child would make. No, I got a better one. Uh, this is this is where Paul Hig- Paul Higgis he watched this movie, or sorry, Paul Haggis he watched this movie and came up with Crash because he he could do it better. Thank you. I got so many Crash vibes. It was like Crash wishes it was this movie. No, no, no. This movie wishes it was Crash. All right, well, we'll get to it. Anyway, um, so this is a pretty pretty serious ensemble cast, uh, including names that would be pretty recognizable in 2021. Uh, Tom Cruise, Philip Seymour Hoffman, even though he passed a few years ago, uh, John C. Riley, Julianne Moore, and then I think some folks that were pretty notable in 1999 as well, Jeremy Blackman, uh, Jason Roberts, Melora Waters, a kind of perennial P.T. Anderson uh acting partner and just a whole bunch of people and it, it kind of follows the uh the story of 10 people in la as their lives intersect in uh almost contrived ways like the premise of the movie is that coincidences happen more than you would think plausible in a sense um so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what more to say. Uh, is this a religious film? Because it definitely kind of implement or like uh, suggests at the beginning that it's there's other forces in control of everything. Oof, that's 
one of the many strings we can pull and run it down on. It definitely has some illusions, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. outright say it's a religious film. Yeah, we're not talking like Ten Commandments or the uh, the Provo, Utah Mormon film industry. Fair enough. Let me rephrase. So not religion, um, but greater forces. Oh, yeah. Well, like, I don't think there was an agenda. Um, no, no. Yeah. Okay. We could argue the point, and I suspect we will. Yeah. But before we do that, let's um, let's introduce the reviewers in the studio. Um, now, Tom Cruise in this movie is a uh, a hawker of he's a pickup artist. He sells seminars and books. And to introduce the cast here, uh, the the cast in the studio, I'd like us all to uh, offer up our names and what scam product we would sell <laughs> to hundreds or millions of gullible men. Now, my name is Jack, and if I had to sell a snake oil product, standing up and giving seminars at, at uh, Hilton conference rooms, I would start a church of Tom Cruise, uh, <laughs> analyzing all the characters Tom Cruise has played and how by acting more like them, you can get in control of your life. That is so meta. That's very meta. <laughs> it's deep. What you can learn from Maverick and what you can learn from... <laughs> Learn from, uh, what you can learn from f- Frank McKay and uh, from the the cameo in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> My goodness, I like it. All right, I like it as well. My name is Mike, and uh, I'm going to be a little bit more meta. I would do a uh, <laughs> oh I would do a seminar to teach people how to make convincing seminars. God damn it! <laughs> Welcome to my seminar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was like. Especially meta, since it sounds like you stole Shane's. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> That's getting too weird. I'm out. Didn't Magnolia start with a series of coincidences that were... <laughs> oh, my. Oh, no. Am I going to die? <laughs> oh, my. Look up to the skies, boys. <laughs> we're all going to have to reconcile with our dads. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just do coke? <laughs> I'll allow okay. it. Okay. Well, my name is Shane, and... If I was going to sell snake oils or do uh, a seminar, it would be how to make motivational books. And the goal is you have to sell <laughs> this book to people under you to get them to sell the motivational book and so on ah. and so forth. So but, you're combining a pyramid scheme with a <laughs> seminar. Yeah, but uh, about how to start one. A pyramid seminar. Uh, is the product seminars yes. you teach people how to give seminars <laughs> and how then, to spot a seminar yeah and then they have to get people to do seminars for them yeah. <laughs> first first slide you may be in one right now yeah <laughs> how far down the seminar period pyramid are we all right june i need you to do a tom cruise for us Pull jacked on this this meta rabbit hole yeah i don't have anything you, meta my uh i'm june and my snake oil thing would be zoom calls with jesus <laughs> so would this be like um people pay to join a zoom call with jesus or is this like as a service you as jesus will join like their corporate zoom calls to like spice things up <laughs> there's payment tiers uh, based on your interaction with jesus but all of them mm. have bandwidth issues so you can't turn on the video camera yeah the, the highest paying <laughs> tier is like a fuzzy picture that kind of looks like jesus <laughs> i'd probably get jim caviezel <laughs> that actually might make a lot of money I mean I'd probably pay to zoom with Jim Caviezel <laughs> it's called cameo <laughs> uh, 
that was good. All right. So what is this movie? Um, so we kind of touched on this before I, I hand it over to Mike. Um, it's kind of framed as a movie about like the the almost unbelievable circumstances that cause these people's lives to intersect. Uh, talking about some really unbelievable but true uh, coincidences at the start uh, as kind of a framing device. And uh, it's just a whole bunch of people who really don't have their shit together, uh, who are just in bad places in life doing stuff. Um, I don't know what more to say about that. So, Mike, why don't you tell us what happens in this movie? All right. So we're going to do a little differently this time. Instead of um, doing like quarter points or whatever we've done in the past, we're going to do it with uh, individual stories. So instead of breaking it up because this film... It, it would do five minutes here, five minutes there between the stories to show that they're intersecting. Honestly, they really didn't intersect that much, but we're going to uh, we're going to just kind of lay through a couple of stories um, and we can talk about it and then move on to the next one. So at the beginning, like you're saying, it, it's it starts with this narrator kind of uh, explaining this this point that the film's trying to make that it has to do with um, incredible coincidences that occur. Uh, so the beginning starts with three separate stories uh, that show three men in a old town who were hung, who happened to have the names that spelled out the town itself. So coincidence, you be the judge. Next one is a story about a couple who fought in a suicide attempt by their son who leaped off the building, but would have survived by landing in some netting that was set up to by the window washers of this building he lived in. However, Due to the parents arguing, they threaten each other with a shotgun and end up killing him as he flies past the window during a suicide attempt, causing them to be charged with murder. And the third uh, coincidence story has to do with... What the fuck's the third one? The scuba diver. The scuba gets- diver by Patton, Patton Oswald plays a, um, a uh, Las Vegas... I think it's in Las Vegas. He plays a, yeah. cons- a casino dealer who loves to scuba dive and is scooped up by a uh, water bomber and dropped onto a fire but dies by a heart attack on the way there. So they set it up as this is what they're going to be. This is going to be a bunch of stories that are going to be all coincidental. Um, so first character I want to go through is uh, Jim uh, Curring. He's a, a beat cop uh, in L.A. And... His starts with a disturbance at a woman's apartment. Uh, he shows up for this disturbance and, f- and uh, meets this woman who is, you know, screaming at the top of her lungs. He goes in, finds that there's a dead body in her closet, uh, and she's arrested for this. I guess the most important part about this is he also meets a kid on the street who is trying to sell him information, and he kind of blows this kid's, this kid's, this kid off. Jim dismisses him and doesn't listen to what he says. And he's trying to, you know, use rap and stuff like that to try to get uh, Jim to understand. But he's kind of pushed to the side. Uh, so further through Jim's story now, he's also called to a second disturbance in the film where he meets uh, Claudia, who is a cokehead uh, younger woman <clears throat> who, through a dispute with her father that came to visit her, uh, the police were called uh, Jim ends up kind of like falling for Claudia and has like a kind of an attraction to her and they kind of flirt back and forth um, and they d- agree to kind of go on a date with each other. Um, so establishing the characters in this film is going to be pretty difficult. So Jim and Claudia are 
the cop and the, the young girl, the father, if we can go into him now, since we have the intersect of their stories. So Claudia's father is a man named Jimmy, and he's a host of a long-running quiz show um, called What Do Kids Know? Uh, he has just barely been diagnosed with cancer, and the reason he was visiting his daughter was to try to make uh, amendments with her and the relationship before he inevitably, be, inevitably dies from cancer. Claudia wasn't having it and kicked him out of her apartment, which ended up causing Jim to show up as a noise disturbance. So, with Jimmy and uh, his story, uh, he being this kind of um, host of the show has had a lot of uh, prodigy children that have come into his show. And this leads us to the next character, whose name is Stanley. And he's a young boy who is a, he's a genius um, prodigy for his age. He's, he's almost reached the record of winners on the show. And his father is very obviously using him to try to make money off of him as a child actor and a child prodigy and uh, refuses to kind of let him have a social life. He's very hard on him, but he keeps kind of manipulating him saying that he loves him. Uh, but he's definitely an asshole, this kid. Uh, and this kid's just, you know, doing the best he can. So that's like the first four characters I've introduced. And there's a lot that happens in between there. If we can discuss some of their plots, we'll get into some other ones in the next section. So, a, All right. a, so a couple yeah. things real quick. I, that just this new format completely desynchronized all of my notes. Um, <laughs> well, imagine what I'm working with, June. <laughs> well, yeah. So I'm I'm, I'm kind of angry slash happy you did that you did this because you mentioned earlier that like none of these stories really intertwined that much, but then Not you really. just intertwined like six characters seamlessly, and I think yeah, it's the film. I think it's because the film does such a good job of like, you know, it seems like an insignificant connection, like all of these little things, but in a way, everything all centers around each other and specifically like the game show, Mm -hmm. Uh, everything just kind of intertwines. I'm not trying to say that the film didn't have intersecting stories. What I'm saying is it definitely pushed the idea that there's, they're ingrained deeply with each other. And by the end of this, I'm going to tell you that I felt like it kind of was lacking. So what I'll say is it it didn't feel like the characters I, I was almost expecting a moment where all the characters show up in start showing up in scenes together. That didn't really come through as much. Um, but it is really difficult to disentangle the stories because e- even if the characters don't interact with each other, they still have relationships with each other and they influence the other like through the, their actions or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, and like the only time we see Claudia interact with her father, Jimmy, they're both major characters, but they only have like 30 seconds together at the start of the film. Hmm. But still, it's it's hard to separate their stories, even if they never actually All right. are even in the same scene again. Well, let's get I, into this then. There's a lot to talk about. Well, wait, wait, wait. Before we... I, I'm not disagreeing with you. Before we you dig in deeper, I just want to bring up, does anyone have an answer or an idea why 82 keeps appearing throughout the film? Yeah. So I noticed it first, uh, not really to do with the movie, but right off the bat in the uh, the opening sequence with like the the flashbacks, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, when the kid is getting ready to jump off the, the building, rope. yeah, yeah, there's a rope that says, you know, it spells out eighty two, and the na- the number eighty two is significant to me for other reasons, as Shane you might know. <laughs> so I noticed that, um, 
And I was like, oh, okay, that's like probably a weird, like, doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, just some artsy thing they did. Yeah, or just an accident. Where, where like, the actual meaning comes out is later on in the game show. It cuts to a scene of the crowd at the game show, and some random guy has a sign that says Exodus 8-2. Oh, yep. I was looking for something. I missed that. So do you want to read that verse for us, June, or do you want me to read it? Would you like the King James or the... <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the Wikipedia, please. <laughs> I'll take in the original Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, Exodus 8.2 reads, But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. Oh, interesting. Oh, all right. Well, see, I yeah. was looking for that. I just missed uh, that. Deep. I like that. Okay. Yeah, so that eight, the 82 or eight, some sequence of 8 and 2 keep coming up throughout the whole movie. and. Mm-hmm. It just, I just happened to pick up that sign at the at the scene and looked up the verse, and I was like, oh, like some shit's probably going to happen with frogs. Who knew that the man among us that would be a man <laughs> of the book would be June? <laughs> man of the cloth. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so then a- after that point, I started looking for it. I only found like two more, I think. Yeah, but apparently there's I, a bunch. I was looking hard. It was kind of like so something. That's... that's- that's uh, I didn't even catch on to any of that. This is the first I'm hearing about this on 82. A, a lighter note as well, not really getting too deep. Um, we've watched two three-hour movies now in a row. This one felt significantly less of a three-hour film than the one I watched before. And I Absolutely. think it's because the pacing in this is it's pretty quick. Like they, there's, they sit, but even when you're sitting with a character, they're doing something. There's something happening. It's not just like silence i don't know this one it just it felt like maybe a two and a half hour movie it felt long but not like the last movie <laughs> Did so i had the, the same uh, thing on a go ahead go ahead mike with the uh the one of the biggest critiques i actually gave to um dances with wolves is that it always tried to build up suspense but it never kind of like finished it this one the complete opposite it built yeah. suspense the entire yeah, time i wanted to like see through what when the shoe was gonna drop for these characters you know yeah, and it, and when it the did. frog was gonna drop <sighs> just did in a way i didn't expect nice so um just to shift gears a little bit though i, I do agree it is kind of mind melting and we briefly discussed this before we started recording i didn't realize that there was a time when john c Riley was not just a comedic staple doing nothing but comedy. Yeah. So we talked about this earlier, but a June wasn't part of it. So I want to present it to June. There's a joke in Talladega nights where he calls Ricky Bobby and goes, <laughs> how do you turn the stereo and the TV on at the same time? And he goes, why would you want to do that? And he goes, cause I like to party. Magnolia was made significantly earlier than Talladega nights. And he makes a comment. You watch TV and the stereo at the same time. <laughs> wow (laughs) so yeah she he comes into the disturbance and she's blasting like music claudia claudia yeah Yeah. claudia's blasting music and doing coke and also watching the game show right i think he's watching something yeah something so he comes in after like just knocking on the door for a while and he's he proceeds to tell her why he's there for the noise complaint because he's concerned she may be having hearing loss (laughs) <laughs> and their neighbors may be having hearing loss. And then he goes, wait, why do you have the TV on too? <laughs> and I just got that because I was like, because she likes to party. <laughs> Everybody knows Coke and party. Yeah, but she does a lot of Coke. 
I mean, tremendously. Obviously. In fact, uh, she's <sighs> doing coke while the, while the cop's in her apartment. Like, she fixes him a cup of coffee and goes to the bathroom, does a rail, and then comes back out to, like, continue to chat with him. And he doesn't notice anything. She's, <laughs> she's just <laughs> sniffing, and her nose is red, and she's, like, jittery and everything. And he's like, well, you know, it's probably because she listened to her music so loud. I feel like you said, like... This is like a... No, please go ahead. Go on. Go on ahead. Right, so I feel like Jim is definitely, like, you guys say that, like, this is a role where he's he's not supposed to be a comedian. It was pretty comical of how terrible of a cop he was throughout this entire film. Like, he dropped his I, nightstick I, in the hallway, and it fell down the stairs, and he had to go run and grab it. This is, I, I was thinking, I was about to say something kind of similar, and that this is, like, a proto-John C. Riley role, <laughs> where he's a dumbass, but he's not the dumbass turned up to 11 that he, he is <laughs> lately. Like... This is at like a seven, yeah. Whereas you know, John C. Riley is usually at like an eleven. Like I'm, all, I'm thinking Tim and Eric show every time I watch him. <laughs> but, but just to back this up a little bit, these are the movies that John C. Riley was in before he started like doing shit with Will Ferrell and just went off the rails. <laughs> he was in Days of Thunder, uh, Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, The Thin Red Line, Chicago, Gangs of New York the aviator yeah. and then he went like off the rails into like walk hard the dewey cox story talladega night step brothers so hell of an acting career <laughs> yeah he did war movies before he <laughs> he got involved with will ferrell he's got some range That's wild yeah well so did uh so did um uh what's his face from uh will ferrell no not well no, for, for as far as like so i think it was um the hell's uh, Vin Diesel was in oh, yeah. was in uh, <laughs> Saving Private Ryan, right? Yeah, he was. Um, it's funny funny to look back because now he's like a, just a dumb Hulk, Fast and Furious guy. But yeah, anyway, we can get off the John C. Riley train. Did it drive anyone else crazy that he's like in her apartment forever? And like, obviously, it's supposed to be a little cringy because he's trying to figure out how to ask her out at while he's on a call there. But like, then he she's... just spends so much time. And, like, his radio goes off, and he kind of just meanders out of there. Like, we need you. There's blood everywhere. <laughs> it's like, so I guess I got to get going. So the amount of I coke didn't... that Claudia's doing, how does she even remember the interaction? I just, I, I think, uh, I think the uh, the cop character was, I, I don't know. It, it, it could have been executed better because... When we see him introduced, like I got the feeling that he actually was a very good cop. Yeah, same here. I felt he like he was stellar. He goes into that first call, and it's like you know he takes control of the situation, and you know, and then we kind of get a glimpse of it afterwards when like detectives and shit are outside, like going over the crime scene, and he tries to give like a firsthand account, and they just kind of brush him off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But then. Then it like transforms like 180 degrees into this clumsy like guy loses his gun like loses his nightstick. Right. I just I don't know it. I I, I would have felt a lot better if it just stuck to one or the other. Well, I felt that it kind of what it was trying to do is establish that in his head he is a, a professional. He loves being a cop. He had his little like inner monologue. Oh, by the way, the only character in the fucking show that has this happen. Um, so he goes to like, he has inner monologue at the beginning and he's talking about why he's doing it, like his, his duty to the job and blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, like then the detectives show up and apparently he's like a joke of the Academy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do feel like without, but the, 
this film kind of towed the line between comedy and like dark. The beginning. At so times. like it kinda I noticed that there's like a point and it almost is like the character initiates it. You can like see it and it happened in the movie. And I want to say it's when he says, don't joke about one eight sevens. I've seen too many. I felt like the comedy stopped right at that. Cause I was looking for more comedic and then it's like real dark, real dark. And then the redemption happens. I forgot the trigger for that, but it was kind of interesting. I, I'm sure it's on purpose, or maybe I'm looking too hard because this thing is just full of things to look too hard for. But I don't know. I would say that yeah. whoever made this film realized how deep they got into it. They wrote all of these very intricate plots and it's very in depth, and then they they realized they they went in way too far. And they're like, oh fuck, what do we do? Let's throw frogs at it. There was a. It becomes a big central plot line uh, that he loses his gun. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of hurts him personally, and he, you know, he gets into a scuffle. Right. So, uh, you mentioned the 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 kid. I did. Mm-hmm. He seems to play a semi insignificant plot point, but he brings up, or he asks him what happened with the the killing in the first apartment, and uh, he does a rap, and he says that he just told him through the rap who killed him. And it, it introduces, like, the character of the worm, who mm-hmm. we never see yes. until later when he's he's riding around and he sees a sketchy character kind of just start running off. So he goes to investigate it. That's when he loses his gun after he takes some shots. And we see the kid run off with the gun and then it's never approached again. Right. Until and it, Yeah. Yeah, so then I I guess what happened was this was like the only portion of the movie that actually got cut. There was oh, really? a, a much deeper like, or it went a lot deeper with like closing out that story because I was like, okay, so the kid left with the gun and then what happened with that? So let me ask you yeah. this to further explain this because I'm very interested. So at later in the in the end of the the his kind of story arc, once. I, I, it's pretty obvious at the end of this film, a bunch of frogs come raining down from the sky. So we got that out of the way. So <laughs> How is that obvious? <laughs> I mean, obviously it was going to happen that billions of frogs were no, going I just meant to... That it's, it's, we've mentioned it a couple times. We, we've definitely mentioned it. So let's just, let's just get it out of the way. If this movie is known about... Let's just get <laughs> okay. it out of the way. Frogs rain. And uh, <laughs> during the, the fro- raining frog scene, a gun plops down in front of the cop. Mm-hmm. So does this cut scene explain how the gun got into well, the... Uh, the cyclone? And I think it's during one of the game shows or something. There's someone that, or no, is at the bar with William H. Macy. They go, "Don't, it's dangerous to confuse children with angels. And I was like, what the fuck right, does well, that I, mean? You're, you're, you're breaking the rule. They're bringing in characters that haven't introduced yet. Okay, but I was saying that, is that kid represent an angel? Because he kind of dances in and he saves a couple people and like, I don't know. Robs a couple people. But he helps people generally. Like he saves... John C. Yeah. Reilly's gun. He saves Julianne Moore. That would uh, be an awesome thing to bring up I, at the very end. I think we need to put a pin in this and come back right, to it. All yeah. right. Get your good ideas out of here, Shane. Our, We're going to talk my about notes Tom Cruise. Are destroyed. <laughs> I, at first I was going to make fun of June, but now I'm reading through. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> my notes <Yeah>. are sequential. <laughs> so that's a very good observation, and I'm very surprised that Shane, of all people, came up with that. But we Insert um, applause here. I I read the gun falling from the sky is not so much a literal like, you know, so, somehow this actual gun returned to him through an act of God or some shit. I think it was literally like just to signify his redemption 
at the oh, end. See, oh. what I was hoping it was, you were going to be like, oh, in the cut scene, the kid, he picks the gun up, but he doesn't, like, use it, but he goes over and chucks it into the river, and then the, the El Nino, uh, you know, <laughs> cyclone pulls it out and throws it back. Anyway, so... <laughs> Honestly, so I, I feel like I have to talk about this with the the frog scene where sort of at the almost at the finale when all of these problems and all of the character stuff seems intractable, the frogs fall from the sky. I honestly think that is just so overt. It's almost like a slap in the face saying like, you can't seriously have expected this film about implausible coincidences, about implausible coincidences to resolve without some like impossible coincidence yeah some great i, fish I think moment. it was just great segue yeah, because I, there is a part in the film where it breaks the fourth wall in a, in a way and we're about to go into that there's yeah that being said take it away mike <laughs> frogs raining from the sky is like an actual thing no it has happened and, and 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 so throughout the film i don't know if you guys thought it was strange that i thought it was a little weird that they kept bringing up like kind of um um uh, weather kind of reports, I guess, where they'd be like, it would be like almost a transitional scene where it'd be like uh, humidity, 99% and wind speed and blah, blah, blah. Those are actual El Nino level uh, events to occur, which which I think what you're referring to, June, when it actually has rain frogs, was around that time when cyclones would pick up fish and frogs and then drop them in a city a couple towns over. Yeah, I definitely went on a deep dive uh, of that <laughs> shit, and nobody actually knows why it, it's happened, but that's, like, the running theory is that, yeah, a cyclone, like, picks up shit from a river and drops it off somewhere. Jesus. Anyway, introduce a few more characters, Mike. All right, so... With Stanley, who is this child prodigy that we went into, we didn't really talk about him between us, but it introduces um, a Donnie Smith... Um, who has the least kind of interaction with all the other characters, but he's important in his own way. He is a former, what do kids know, uh, child champion who is now an adult and still kind of living out his glory days. Um, becomes apparent that the money he won as a kid was spent by his parents and he kind of has a grudge against that. But Donnie is now just kind of everyday man who is sometimes recognized for what he is, but he he's, he's not letting go of that you know, 10 minutes of fame that he had. So... His story is about him working for a man named uh, Solomon Solomon, and he owns an electronics store, and Donnie is convinced that he needs to get braces, and the braces are going to help him some way, which we find out later is to actually, uh, he, he he's in love with a bartender at a bar that he goes to, and the bartender has braces, and so he kind of has got in his head that he needs to get braces to try to relate to this guy, so... He's trying to get money for his oral surgery to get these braces, but he gets fired from his job because he's terrible at it, um, which ends up leading in his story arc to trying to break into his old job, Solomon and Solomon, where he has copies of the keys in order to steal money from him to get this oral surgery. Now, this ends up meeting later with Jimmy, and that's the only kind of interaction between them. Uh, moving past that, the only other kind of uh, connection we're going to go off of now for them is that the former producer of this show, that Jimmy, uh, who's dying of cancer, and Stanley, who has been on this, and Donnie, who used to be on this, was a man named Earl um, Patridge. And he is an old man now who is also dying of cancer. And he is married to a trophy wife whose name is Linda. Uh, uh. Linda has... 
a, a complicated relationship with Earl. It is she's a younger woman, uh, being a trophy wife, and she also has a lot of uh, prescriptions to some um, very strong uh, psychoactive kind of drugs. She has apparently depression, and she's going around collecting drugs for Earl, who is in the late stages of cancer, and she wants to try to end his suffering. And it's very apparent that she's in love with Earl, uh, even though she is a trophy wife, which is kind of against the trope. But through that, we find out that she has a lot of guilt on her. So as a trophy wife, she admits to a uh, to their lawyer that she only married Earl for the money, and she had been messing around. But then in his late stages of cancer, she actually fell in love with him as he was dying, and she was taking care of him. So she is guilt-ridden and is suicidal at this point. So she picks up um, some morphine in, in a uh, droplet form to try to... F- Get rid of Earl's pain, but at the same time, it's going to essentially nail the the last nail in the coffin there. Um, Now, the other part of Earl's story is Earl has a nurse named Phil who works for him. And now Phil is just trying to hospice Earl through the last kind of days of his life. And Earl makes a request that he wants to get in contact with his son. His son is named Frank uh, Mackey. And Frank Mackey oh, is a man who uh, is the he sells seminars to men on how to be manly and not let feminism overtake them in life. All right, so next stop. Yeah, I think that I think that puts that's all of the characters that puts all the pieces on the board. There's more certainly happens, but did you do the Philip Seymour Hoffman character? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Phil, okay, Phil, Phil Parm, yeah. Phil, the, uh, the, yeah, the hospice I nurse. was laughing so hard at the Solomon and Solomon firing scene with Alfred Molina, where they're like, yes. he, he's like, you suck. You don't sell anything. He's like, <laughs> and he keeps going and they're like, he's like, I need braces. And the one guy's like, you were struck by lightning. Why do you need braces? That sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a glossed over bit where Philip, or not Philip, they all, so many people kind of look like Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie. <laughs> like, there's this this kind of strange triangle of, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, Patton Oswalt and <laughs> the, the, William H. Macy, where they all... The Hoffman triangle? Like, Hoffman's the triangle. Hoffman triangle. We're like... They don't quite look alike, but they all don't look like any other human being in kind of a similar way. We're on to something. Like, it's easy to tell them apart, but they're... It's like they evolved separately. I need to see your dissertation on Hoffman's Triangle. <laughs> the Hoffman Triangle. It might, this might be the title of the podcast. Um, so, the acting in this, like, petal of the Magnolia, I guess, is, like, mm-hmm. phenomenal. Man, William H. Macy and um, Julianne Moore, like, crushed it. Oh, yeah. Julianne Moore was incredible. Like, it's almost a disservice because I think only Tom Cruise got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. But, I mean, he did a damn good job. I mean, I can't really point to any actor in this and be like, ugh. Like, I think it was a stellar actor movie. Like, they all did their parts and did what they were supposed to do. Like... Philip Seymour Hoffman didn't really have much, but he that's because his character's not supposed to. He's kind of the straight yeah. guy that's like yeah, leading I, them together. 
I was thinking, a, yeah, a similar thing. Like, there are a few characters. Like, John C. Riley. there's not a, a ton that's demanded of him, but he, he does it well, and he does it convincingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, it's he's, like, no. yeah, it's like the director got up in front of all of them at the beginning of filming, and it's like, only one of you will get the nomination. <laughs> <laughs> and then he threw a knife in the middle of the room, and with the script. Yeah. <laughs> and Tom Cruise flipped a table. <laughs> he threw an Oscar in the middle of the room. <laughs> You know Tom Cruise would win that fight. Tom Tom Cruise would bring a gun to a knife fight. We'll have a whole section about Tom Cruise. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Julianne Moore, I like, because at first, I I was kind of annoyed by her, but it's not because of her acting. It's just like because her character is a lot. Um, But that's on purpose, though, too, and it evolves. Because in the beginning, you kind of view her as just some manic person. And I thought she was his daughter. I think that's on purpose. Um, Like, I did not think that was his wife until they said it. So I was like, oh, she's just breaking down because she's taking care of her dying dad. Like, she's, yeah. And he's like, even the dad, or Partridge, is like, yeah, she's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. yeah. But she levels out and explains her neurosis, too. And you're like, do you all? Yeah, I mean, I they did a good job kind of towing this line of. So there, there are some kind of um, foil characters or comparisons where, you know, you've got Claudia who's super strung out and evidently on drugs, uh-huh. um, you know, and so she, you know, it was, it was kind of a comparison with, uh, um, with Linda, um, but. I don't know. I never got a good read. Like, was she on something? Was she, she off something? Was no, she just no, Linda, pushed to the limit by this breakdown? No, Linda was on a lot of drugs. So there's a pharmacy scene where Linda is picking up prescriptions for the morphine as well as her own that she she goes and sees her psychologist. And during the interaction, like the psychologist says, normally we need to talk about stuff before I give you prescriptions. And she just rips these prescriptions out of his hand or yeah, and then goes straight to this pharmacy. She picks but up. It, she picks up a lot of strong shit there. But she's getting it for Earl. No, no, no. She's getting her her prescriptions and also Earl's. Yeah, um, but she's talking to Earl's doctor. That she so she talks to Earl's doctor and also her her own doctor as well. So there's two scenes. There's the one where she's sitting in oh. the under doctor's office and she gets some morphine prescription, and then she goes mm-hmm. and she goes to her, later. The next scene with her is she's at her psychologist and she gets her own prescriptions. Yeah, so there's there's two right. separate prescriptions given. All oh, right, right, okay, okay, okay. Her, um, her like suicide scene. I I kind of missed that. Uh, did she like pop some pills or some shit? Yeah, she was I, drinking and mixing. Okay, uh, but she, pills. she takes she takes Earl's um, morphine pills yeah. with alcohol. Oh, I see. Um, which is during my conclusion notes. So the next section of we we, we go. I want to talk about some other stuff before this, but the next section is going to be um, just so you guys are aware the arc. Um, section and it's gonna hit everybody real quick okay you know honestly why don't you just run through it mike and that way we can kind of put everything on the table cool sounds good so start with earl and phil so phil is he decides that he wants to help uh, earl get in touch with his son so he contacts as best he can, he figures out how to get in contact with Frank's people through uh, some – in his smut magazine, he finds like an ad for his seminars and he manages to convince the guy on the phone to get Frank on the line. His people end up getting through it and they inform Frank that his father is dying. So Frank now 
struggling with his own kind of uh, masculinity and his 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 whole thing that he's kind of stood for. He decides that he wants to go and confront Earl before he dies to call him out on the fact that Earl left him and his mother when they were young and his mother died of cancer alone with Frank taking care of her. So that's Phil and Frank. So after that, we go to Linda, who, which we mentioned, tries to kill herself through her guilt and she takes some pills and alcohol and passes out in a car in the middle of nowhere. During that, um, the, 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 the kid who was the, doing the rapping, I forgot his name, Sam? Dixon. Dixon... Is it Dixon? Anyway, so the 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 the, the young uh, child that had been in contact with Jim, he finds her passed out in her car. He robs her, but he uses her cell phone to call an ambulance, and the EMTs show up and take her away. Uh, <clears throat> before this, and I think it's important to mention, is Linda does have an interaction with Phil where she kind of says, "You know, I'm I'm going to be walking away from this," and he he she gives uh, Phil the the vial in order to distribute the morphine that's going to end. Earl's life, and he does before Frank shows up. Frank does end up meeting with him and comes in and confronts his father at his dying bed and fills there with him. So that's where we're up to that. So Claudia goes on a date with Jim, and during their date, she decides to make kind of a pact with Jim that they're going to be completely honest and avoid everything. During this, Jim tells his most embarrassing thing, which was losing his gun, and Claudia kind of admits to that she's kind of crazy, and she tries to run away and uh, goes back home um, to pursue her kind of a drug addiction. Uh, this goes to Jimmy. So during Jimmy's show the, the, with the kids, he gets belligerently drunk, um, just hammered, and the cancer kind of catches up with him and there's he he is not doing well he passes out on the stage um at the same time stanley who being forced in this position by his father and also like the production team he's he's not allowed to go to the bathroom he keeps telling people that he needs to go to the bathroom he ends up uh urinating himself halfway through the show which causes him to kind of have his own little mental breakdown of realizing that he doesn't want to do this anymore and he's been pushed to do this and he didn't want to stand in front of this, the, the people of the audience because he's, he's pissed himself. So he runs away after the show gets shut down because Jimmy is also having these uh, bouts of kind of delirium. Um, Jimmy returns home to his wife who is still in love with him and Jimmy admits that he has not been faithful and that he wants to get everything off his chest before he dies and tells his wife that he's been cheating on her. Um, but the his wife Rose brings up a bigger question. It says, I'm not mad at you about that, but why don't you have a good relationship with Claudia? And it, it then gets to the point where it is apparent that um, it's possible that Jimmy has molested her at some point in her life. So that's why Claudia has her drug problems. And that's why she's not in good relationship with Jimmy. And Rose leaves Jimmy uh, in her anger. Donnie, who is now decided to go and steal the money, which I already kind of uh, mentioned about Solomon and Solomon. He goes, gets the money, accidentally breaks his key off while he's trying to run away and realizes halfway through the drive home that he doesn't want to be a crook and he turns around and goes back to try to return the money but in doing so finds that the key is locked there so he tries to climb and break in through a window which leads jimmy to catch him going up the drain pipe and there's not not jimmy jim and jim turns around in his car and that point the frogs start coming down and that's where they kind of meet up with each other um think i've hit everybody any questions yeah <laughs> so i also want to highlight probably the the iconic scene from this movie where uh a song on the soundtrack 
starts playing. (laughs) And uh, it's so it's on the stereo system at Claudia's, I think, to start. Mm -hmm. And she kind of starts singing along. And then it kind of turns into this montage where the other characters also start singing along to include Earl, who is dosed on morphine and is out for the count. And uh, maybe even uh, Linda, who has just endosed, you know... uh, Yeah, it's every single character. Had a whole bunch of pills and alcohol. Yeah, everyone sings along to the song, and I forget the name of the song, but... It's some obscure uh, song. But it's like, I was waiting for them all to start dancing together. (laughs) Yeah, it really veers into the absurdist there. I want to... I want to... I'm curious to see if you guys... Uh, like if you were editing this movie, would you keep that scene? Oh, a hundred percent. No. Wait, are you high? I I don't think it added anything to it. It took me out of the film. <laughs> truthfully, there was there was a couple spots, and I'm with you. I'm with you, Shane. I'm with you, Shane. There were a couple spots during this film that it just like didn't feel like a movie anymore. Yeah, I'm just, and it's not like it was like a popular song that was on the radio or something that they were all listening to at the same time. That you go, oh. Okay, I see how they're all connected by this song. It was just them randomly thinking of it, singing it, and I'm like, that's... It's too much. I honestly... I I think that... I I agree it was too much, and I think that's what made it necessary. Kind of to introduce that maybe this isn't real? Well, it's... I don't think it's as literal as, like, is this real or not? I think it's just... It, it veers into um, absurdism almost where this is like, it, it's just up to 11. Like we're, you know, in the next scene, we're going to have frogs fall from the sky, like oh. in immense volume, right? Like this is, <laughs> it's the same thing where like it's, it's ratcheting up these levels of coincidences until it's. On that point, cause I, I'm, I'm falling in now because Hoffman does one too. When he's on the phone, he goes, this is the part of the, movie where you uh, despite yes, all I wanted odds, to talk about that help too. me and connect me to the next person yeah he's talking to the the guy on the phone with frank's organization he's talking about how you know there's a scene in the movie where the you know father tries to connect with the son and like it veers this line between like realistic and totally like way too on the yeah. nose but i thought this is what kind of separated this from like otherwise it would just kind of be a movie with some kind of a a gimmick the the turning it up to 11 and pushing past like that barrier and crossing the line is what makes this more well that's actually that's actually oh go ahead like i want to i want to continue on that but please june i i agree with jack i it it didn't like i don't think it drew me into the film at all but it didn't take me out of it either and i think it was important because it broke the rules so to speak mm-hmm. um and this this scene is actually a pretty contentious topic like there's reddit threads about like <laughs> countless reddit threads about whether this right. scene was good or bad um but yeah i think it it, it kind of broke away from convention then just like jack was saying it kind of prepped us for like this is not a conventional movie and uh, yeah, I think it's powerful in that respect. So go on ahead, Mike, and I want to say something after you. 
Excellent. So this is actually the point. Well, not the point. There's a, a couple points throughout this film, but this is, I would say, the perfect time to bring up what I didn't like about this film. And it's it's not that I felt that took away from the film. I felt like at the beginning. So the beginning of this movie, and I should say, actually, the probably the first hour. I felt like it was really good. It had a really good premise. I liked the whole narration of incredible coincidences. And I thought there was a lot of um, uh, prospect there. I thought there was going to be some good opportunities to do like kind of a a crazy film that's going to show me that kind of stuff. But when it started doing this kind of shit that I think you said it was a bit gimmicky, I... it, it made me kind of not like this film in the sense that I, I feel like it kind of gave up, if that makes sense. I felt like it kind of, it did, it made it crazy, but it did it in a way that I felt wasn't uh, creative. I felt that it was actually uh, too easy and on the on the nose. Like, it was crazy. It was this weird singing, um, you know. <laughs> and then they did the frogs. It's just, like, there was so much potential. There was so much potential in this film that I personally felt kind of let down when it, it did do that, I could see why people would see this and be like, wow, this is left field and, and they would like it for that. But I, I think it could have been I could think it could still have been left field, but better. You know, I, I see where you're coming from, but I feel like what sets this movie apart is not just that it it does something kind of weird, but it leans into it and like wholly commits itself to this weirdness. It's um it's like the director's signature because I was thinking about it. And I was like, man, this is, this isn't the first movie I've seen where all the characters are tied together by thin things and each influences the other. But like, if it was a Coen brother film, they all would have killed each other at the end, or they all would have died in some bloody weird way or like this. But because it's a Paul Thomas Anderson one, he puts his own signature, which is these weird, like breaks, in reality but the theme of this movie is while it seems out of reality it's still plausible within reality kind of um ish yeah the so the other thing i wanted to i guess kind of contrast this with is um so in big labat so I, i came up with this comparison uh at the start where there's kind of a narrator but the narrator is only present for a couple scenes where he talks about the crazy coincidence at the beginning and then also at the end but the point of comparison for me was the big lebowski where there's a narrator and the narrator is distinctly western and then the narrator is also like a character at the bar that they then like encounter and talk to Mm -hmm. right but in uh the big lebowski which is certainly a good movie That's just kind of like a sideshow to what's going on. But in this movie, they lean into it so much that it becomes almost the centerpiece where this unreality is turned up so high, like it can only be intentional. Well, you know who the narrator is, right? It's the uh, producer on the show. It's the dude that... Which one are you talking about? Big Lebowski or this one? In, In this film, it's the guy that's directing the show. I forgot his name. At the very beginning? The kid show, yeah, where Agent he's Coulson? where he's saying like, cut, go to this, throw this up. So, I don't know if that's oh, yeah, meant to do him. anything or if the or if they just liked his oh, yeah. voice, but it is him. He's the narrator. The last little bit of clarification I want to make is that 
um, the first three instances at the very beginning, the short five minute introduction was really cool. The way that they, they kind of set those um, incredible coincidences up. They were, they were incredible coincidences. Three guys who had the first names that ended up being the place where they murdered the people. Credible coincidence. Like they're, they're actual, they're believable in the sense that they could be coincidences. The guy jumping off the building and getting shot out the window. Incredible. It could happen though. But come on, like frogs and the singing number, like it's just a little too far-fetched. And that's it. That's the only thing that kind of took away from it for me. I think that's the point is... Oh, absolutely. I just didn't like it. You, you're going from progressively more... Yeah, and I definitely get that. Like, it, I can also see how this would be just too much and undo the film. But they go from progressively plausible coincidences to stuff that is just unbelievable. And it's kind of this continuous ratcheting. I like the uh, just going back to like breaking away from convention. This movie like definitely personified it, right? You watch something like Big Fish, and you go, you as the viewer go in knowing that this is going to be like sus- you got to suspend reality for this film, mm-hmm. right? Whereas you go into like uh, you know whatever other movie, and it's like okay, this movie is meant to be serious, and anything that detracts from that is is going to make it bad. But the fact that Magnolia doesn't set any of those ground rules and constantly breaks it. Like one of the one of the things that stuck out to me was when uh, Jim uh, sees Worm, right? And if you think about it, like he just worked up the courage to ask this girl on a date. They're both broken and you want this like budding love story to happen. And then he, you know flips the car around to chase some sketchy dude and instantly you're like well he's dead yep yeah right <laughs> and, and then he and drops I, the gun yep i 100 percent knew it in my mind that he was going to get killed on that call but then he didn't you know so yeah. it's like and that's all that's only one of many examples throughout this film where you like if if everybody was given the first section of this plot um where shit kind of makes sense and then you asked everybody to finish the movie, not a single person could do it. You know what I'm saying? And it did. Well, and we we even get, because I was trying to think of... No, 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 Shane. (laughs) When Mike and I start talking at the same time and then stop to see who's going to talk next, you can't just jump in. (laughs) With that said... We had a gentlemanly duel. Go on ahead, Mike. Oh. You go first. Okay. Um, the, the only thing I was going to say was um, going off of the whole... Um, the suspense of this film was really well done. Even the stuff that turned out later to be trivial. Like, when he peed his pants, I felt suspense. When he dropped his gun, and turned out it was fine. But I felt suspense. Like, they did a good job of throughout this whole film making each person's story significant at the time. Yeah. Um... What it feels like to me, and this um, feels similar to kind of the point June was making, is that this is a film that feels like a different type of film entirely at the end than when it starts. And I think we've there's a few kind of like this, like Her is like this, where <laughs> it feels like this movie took an entirely different arc than what I was expecting and became like almost a different genre. Or like The Lobster, which is another like intensely weird movie. And I think that kind of sets it apart where it it almost defies cate- categorization. Yeah. I was going to speak to the, the endings as well, because as you guys were talking, 
I got kind of, I was like, does anyone really have a happy ending? And I kind of started snipping all the pieces and they all make progress, but it's not explicit that they're happy endings. Tom Cruise gets to see his father and, and unleash a lot of emotion, but his father doesn't get to say all the apologies that he wanted to, you know what I mean? Like he's gone. So we don't know if Tom Cruise gets that, that closure. Uh, Julianne right. Moore. Does it- Suggests though that Frank is Tom Cruise's character is gonna go and have a relationship with Linda though. Maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, um, Linda's also gonna get all this money she doesn't want. Um, uh, Claudia, uh, only Jim told about his past. She has yet yeah. to unload upon him <laughs> all her issues to see if he's game. Um, yeah. His, so I, his... I I think we need Mike to tell us what happens at, from when the frogs start falling. But I will say that. At the at this point, before the frogs start falling from the sky, almost every problem looks intractable. Like Jimmy is putting a gun to his head at this point after his wife leaves him. Yeah, yeah I could go through and, each, but, but like they all make progress, but they don't get to escape the issues that brought them there. It's not like that's closed up. Like Donnie's dad's still an asshole, yeah. even though he's standing up to Mike. Him. Why don't you? Tell us what happens from when the frogs fall. All right. So the frogs start to fall. And this is where all the points where I left off, um, they're all simultaneously hit by this uh, frog storm. Frog storm was the name of my band in high school. (laughs) Yo, that's sick. (laughs) (laughs) It's my nickname on the chess club. So let's let's (laughs) the chess club. That's pretty hard ass. Um, so let's start with Frank and um, Earl and um, Phil. So the frogs start coming down, and it doesn't really phase Frank, but it's right when Earl wakes up for the last time, and Frank and him kind of lock eyes, and his dying breath is while this frogs are raining down, and Phil's kind of looking out the window about that. Uh, at the same time, Donnie, who was trying to break back into uh, Solomon's and Solomon's, is whacked in the face by a frog, and he falls off the pole and ironically busts his teeth out on the pavement. Jim had just swung around to go and stop Donnie from robbing this place, and his car starts to get hit with the frog, so he pulls into a gas station, runs out, drags Donnie to safety, and then has a uh, conversation after the frog stopped falling, and he kind of convinces Donnie to well you know Donnie was already doing it he helps Donnie return the money and gives him kind of a second chance we have Linda who um she was taken to the hospital and on the way there in the ambulance her hospital is hit by the frogs and she gets into a car crash with her with the within the ambulance but they manage to save her and uh, her attempted suicide attempt is doesn't go through and she lives and Frank uh at the last scene for frank is him going to see linda in the hospital so it kind of leaves that ambiguous uh the very end because i think that's really the only people affected by the frogs jim is is seen talking to claudia at her house and um telling claudia that he's not going to give up on her and that uh i think the, the final thing is she smiles uh in reply to to jim being there so also uh Stanley does go to his father and tell his dad that he needs to be nicer to him. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. His, his dad tells him to go to yeah, bed. Right. So <laughs> your, your mileage may vary on how, how much closure yeah. that one was. But. And Jim Gator goes to 
Did you say he was going to shoot himself and then frogs come crashing through the skylight and... Oh, I didn't know. No, yeah. So, so Jim, Jimmy's in his kitchen after his wife Rose leaves because he's, he says to her, and this is weird, and I agree with her leaving. Is when she asks him if he molested their daughter, he says, "I don't know," and in doing so, he goes to his kitchen after she leaves and tries to shoot himself. But a frog comes through the skylight and knocks the gun out of his hand. So we know he knows. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I. I don't know if he does, is the thing. Like, was he, like, the kind of person who went on benders all the time and doesn't remember stuff? I don't know. Like, I think it's plausible that he doesn't know. That's true. But the I guilt of not agree knowing but someone telling you you did and you don't know could be enough. And, like, you 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 don't know, know enough to actually say no. Like, I, I 100% agree with his wife. I don't know is not, not an acceptable answer to that situation. question. <laughs> like that, that does not, that is not enough. But I can also believe a circumstance where someone does not even know, yeah. like to themselves, if they did something like that. Which is almost, I don't want to say almost worse, but it's pretty awful. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, so... Yeah, like you mentioned, there's no um, there's no clean tie-up here at the end for most characters. But I do want to say uh, there's just one scene that I'm I'm confused about. Okay, so when Tom Cruise, uh, Frank Mackey, uh, comes over to uh, visit Earl, right? Earl has like four dogs, oh, and Tom yeah. Tom Cruise does not like dogs, and he says, "I will." dropkick those fucking dogs if they come near me <laughs> a i lost my shit b when the um the not the hospice partridge yeah, well when uh after earl partridge dies the um the undertakers come and take him and there is a dog that has died as well yes <laughs> did, did tom cruise drop kick this dog no no, no. So, so was it killed by a falling frog no so Phil, when uh, when Phil's on the phone, yeah, go ahead, June. Uh, yeah, Phil being clumsy and fucking Phil, <laughs> he knocks over a bunch of pills, and you see as he's frantically talking on the phone to figure out where Frank T J Mackey how to find him. He all the pills go everywhere, and he just struggles for like a four minute scene to pick up these pills. <laughs> but and he picks then, up like mm-hmm. three. Yeah, <laughs> and and there's another scene where he's getting the trying to get the dog to get out of the trash yeah well mm-hmm. it's the dog licks him up yeah the dog actually comes through and licks up like three of the pills which i want to talk about i, I must have missed that but i i do want to make the point that this movie was tight in so oh, many ways excellent mm-hmm. script. and that excellent so everything that was off the rails was incredibly foreshadowed whether it's i didn't notice this until you all talked about it but Everyone asking about meteorology, like Stanley is asking the lady at the studio about like whether the meteorology at this TV station is in-house mm-hmm. or whether they contract out. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the constant talking about weather. Um, the key that Philip Seymour Hoffman breaks off in the doorway as he leaves the scene of the crime with his lanyard that breaks mm-hmm. it off was foreshadowed the first time he uses it and he inadvertently leaves his key in the door when he's about to get fired everything is is foreshadowed and it is a tight i script. do have a question and 
This is kind of with the 82. Hopefully, June also has read another Bible verse to explain this one. Uh, they say ladies and germs. No one says ladies and gentlemen. It's always ladies and germs. Just, that, was a, that was a trope of the 80s and 90s. What? <laughs> it's, well, was it? Did, anyone, <laughs> o- did anyone other than Jimmy say it? He said it a number of times, but did someone else say it? Are you it? serious, Shane? Why is this funny? Like, no, honestly, that was that was like... 70s, 80s, they used to say, ladies and germs. It's just a dumb TV show host joke. But I heard multiple people say it. Yeah, because it was a dumb TV show host joke. I'm pretty sure it was only the host that says it. Huh. Well, it has its this phrase has its own page on TV tropes. All right, hey, so I uh, don't fucking laugh at me. I submit to. I will laugh at you all I want. (laughs) I know, but do it do it when we're not recording. No, but I want to say that one of the, my favorite jokes with Phil was um, when he, so he's trying to figure out how to contact Frank to, because, you know, he's this guy and he's obviously known for his smut. And so he calls <laughs> a, a grocery store. By the way, I didn't know you could order groceries back in the 90s, but he calls this grocery store and he, he does like a phone order and he orders some some bread and some milk and some like <laughs> yeah, cigarettes. Yeah. And then he's like. Do you guys do you guys carry Playboy? And the person on the phone's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, let me get one of those. And he's like, do you guys carry Hustler? And she's like, yeah. And he says, let me get one of those too. So he goes through and it does like a third porno mag. And then at the end, the woman says, do you still want the bread and the cigarettes? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. Man cannot live on Hustler mags alone. <laughs> uh, on, on a similar vein, I really liked the like absurdity of all the game show questions oh <laughs> oh they were so out there one of them was like the french opera that this has the lyrics of this you know need to know the composer and the an original french lyrics and you have to sing it well and then stanley just does it <laughs> well and the absurdity of the adults are talking shit to the kids like yeah that's yeah. right bitches <laughs> we kicked you out. Louis Guzman's like, that's right. We doubled your score. You suck. <laughs> to like the dad's, even the dad's like it's, screaming at his kid. He's like, I'm an idiot, and you're you're brilliant. He, oh man, it it's really is a send up of game shows. It all all I can think of is that the the stupid Jeff Foxworthy show that was on the air for oh, a few are you years. Oh, smarter than a fifth grader or something. Yeah, I'm like. And somehow in this universe, everyone watches this show. Yeah. And I don't know anyone who watched <laughs> Are You Smarter Than a Sixth <laughs> So that's where the reality breaks. <laughs> the viewership. It the frogs. <laughs> so that was, that, was another, uh, that was another cool tie-in. Uh, like you said, at, right before the climax of the frogs, they every single person in this town is watching this show. And it ties all the characters together again, and then now maybe that's maybe that's the tie for everybody, right? Like I was complaining that they never really had any kind of like overlap, but the show—that's the catalyst. That's what brought them all together. Yeah, every single person has some tie to that back to that show. Yeah, um, yeah. Whether it's distant or not, it's it's pretty clear. It's the center um, beam. And then the uh, yeah. the other underlying theme that we we kind of encroached on was the. Uh, the theme of shitty dads. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, I think almost every single character has a has a has a tie to that as well. Um, with Frank 
and and his dad like you mentioned and then uh yeah obviously stanley yep uh the quiz kid the og quiz kid uh all those his parents stole all the money or took all the Mm -hmm. money from his show winnings Did, did jim have a bad dad i can't remember him no, he was one of the exceptions. He didn't talk about it. It's it's kind of a funny. It's it's like a spider web where the characters don't all relate to everyone, but they all kind of link together. The where Jim, of it. yeah, yeah, Jim kind of links in through uh, Claudia, but yeah, I, I think there are kind of two parallel stories in that it's um, Earl and quote unquote Frank, which isn't his real name. Uh, Earl and Frank. Um, reconciling as well as uh jim or sorry jimmy and claudia failing to reconcile like those kind of seem like the parallel tracks and the people who are uh influencing earl and influencing claudia and um and then like the tv show is almost kind of a a, i don't know like it's (laughs) this spider web really yeah. spirals out so claudia claudia does have a uh, reconciliation but with the mother with, through the, the mother, mother realizes yeah. jimmy was mm-hmm. the a, you know a molester and she goes and sees her daughter at the end i have yeah. one final note here and then i'll just feed off whatever you guys do and now that i read it i realize that this may actually tie in but when they pull up in front of the house t- uh frank is driving a saturn and I was like, wow, the must not be doing a lot of seminars there if you're only driving a Saturn. But that would only feed the fact that he's a fraud. Like, that he's not <laughs> as successful as he plays. He's, you know, he didn't get a thing from, or a degree from UCLA. And Well, now we lost every listener that drives a Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm going to piss off our Saturn listeners. <laughs> <laughs> So that does that does bring me to another point. So A, I, I think to support your argument, his audience in this hotel isn't that big. No. Right. And and he is in his home turf. He's he's here in LA where he grew up and where he's been making his business. So it, it's not like he's out in like bumfuck yeah. Egypt where uh we should probably cut that saying. Uh it's not like <laughs> <laughs> we'll just bleep it. Staying. We'll just bleep it and let the audience picture where they are. Sorry, it's not like he's in Iowa where, like, <laughs> God damn it. no one worth talking to lives. But so you think he'd pull a crowd. But the other thing, the, the scene that we haven't really touched on much is so he's giving, like, this it's practically a sermon to this audience Ooh. of horny, uh, socially awkward men uh, about how they too can embrace their future and, like, slay poon. Um, <laughs> And over the lunch break, a reporter comes in to talk to him and confronts him and has, like, uncovered, like, the actual truth about his parents, that his father has not died and that his his mom did and that his, you know, like, all, all this stuff about how his, his dad Earl left him and his mom when his mom got sick. And the way Tom Cruise acts this is so good and it is, like, so clearly a breaking point for this character where he is, like in control and playing a character on stage before this and after this he is like he's he's still like a recognizable version but he's struggling to play the character that he plays in front of these right, people his confidence is yeah, broken that was, that was gonna be my my prompt my secondary prompt was a seminar of flipping tables <laughs> <laughs> how to flip a table 
because because his character does he loses it like and like he he's off his groove he messes up his little speech and he ends up like tossing tables around the seminar but interesting like i didn't pick up on the fact that he is broke right he is driving a shit car but the whole money thing linda didn't want so her whole thing was she actually fell in love with earl right we already covered that and she doesn't want the money but she also doesn't want frank to get the money and frank is broke so him going to see his dying father, I don't know, maybe a little bit of sleaziness there. Like I don't think I don't think Tom Cruise's character arced. I think Tom Cruise's character just saw the potential of not only being able to cuss out his dying father, but also get a bunch bunch of fucking money. That's one way to look at it. I think he was affected because he 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 couldn't keep it together. You know what I mean? He was totally off put. Now maybe yeah, he he's could also have... he also claimed to be a liar the whole time. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think this is one of the most interesting characters, and it's hard to get a good read on it because he goes from being a person who seems is drinking his own Kool-Aid yeah. to someone whose act is broken. Like, because it breaks, it's clear that what he's doing in front of all these would-be pickup artists is just an act. Uh-huh. Like, he is manipulating them to get money off of them. And he's keeping up the act with this reporter who's interviewing him just to stay in character and to, you know, because it's good for business. Might be sinister him going to see Linda. Maybe he's trying to get in with her now. Well, I don't think it's sinister. I don't think it's sinister. I I think it's purely a chance. The the bone hound. But no, I, I think the 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 skirt chaser is an act of his. It's it's a cynical ploy to yeah, me um, fooled. I was ready to buy a calendar right it, now. It's it's a business of his, right? Like he's rehearsed this. When he says, "Yeah, like I practice the religion I preach to this reporter," that is the lie. You can, I, I think, you can almost see it um, when he's not in front of a crowd or other people. Like his little like entourage that he has. You know, he he's like this eccentric like you know borderline psychopath dude that's freaking out on stage and then much like we see in in many other times you know he leaves the quote-unquote studio and he's just like a you know kind yeah, of a yeah well and he, he is still an asshole well yeah. and he gets bossed around he, by women like he's on the phone and she's like go see your fucking dad and he's like yeah. all right like uh, that's he, totally goes against what he preaches his whole thing, the whole reason he hates his father is he had to take care of his mother. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm yeah, and the, the biggest transformation that I saw was during the interview. It was a great scene because mm-hmm. he starts off the interview in like a borderline Charlie Sheen freak out where he's like in his underwear and like rolling around <laughs> on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole time he's, you know, keeping up that character. And then she she kind of plays along the inter- the interviewer. And then brings up like the actual motive of the interview um, was his past and and you know his family life, and then he just filibusters the interview by staring off into the distance until time's up. He says, I, "I'm quietly judging you," or something. Yes, <laughs> filibusters. <laughs> and um, we see another kind of tense moment when he he gets the phone call from I forget it was Janet was her name yeah, I think I think so yeah it's yeah someone who's not even credited I think yeah. she is credited she was uh she was in, oh is she she was in twenty four uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway um there's a there's another extended 
moment of silence there that kind of parallels the last one where he's deciding if he's going to uh, go see his dad or not. And it's like paralleled with uh, Phil giving him the the morphine or whatever to oh, yeah. es- essentially uh-huh. start his death. Um, so that was cool. Another tense, tense moment there. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting... I don't know how to describe it where... Um, you know, they, they make it really clear that once they start giving uh, Earl the liquid morphine as opposed to um, the the pills, this is like he's going to go off the cliff as far as coherentness, right? Like he's, as a person, is, is likely to be gone. And so he gets that before uh, Phil gives it to him, before Frank shows up. And so Frank doesn't even really meet him almost. Yeah, he doesn't get that that. I'm sorry. He just gets to yell at a corpse, basically. Yeah. And, um, yeah, anyway, I, I thought that was interesting. And we've talked about this in between watching it and talking about it. It, um, it does become pretty evident to me why Tom Cruise was one of the standout actors, because it's not just, a, um, you know, it, it's not, we, we joke about, Tom Cruise just playing Tom Cruise and being unhinged <laughs> on stage, but there's so much more to the character and so much range and in a subtle way that, uh, yeah, it, I, it, it's pretty clear why Tom Cruise is really a, a standout among a bunch of good actors and actresses. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And yes, That's Mike, brutal. I can go a few extra minutes. That's brutal for you to say that Tom Cruise is holding his own against some good actors and actresses. <laughs> you know, no, I was thinking this, like, as I watched this, like, I joke about Tom Cruise a lot, but Tom Cruise is a, a pretty good actor. Like, oh, yeah, just because he's done seven Mission Impossibles. I mean, like, he's, even he's good in those. But, uh, no, he's just, every actor and actress, I, like, I just wrote All-Star, but I don't even know if this is All-Star. This is, like, all Madden. This- <laughs> this is like the oh, I don't know how to describe this, right? Like this isn't your flashy actors. This besides Tom Cruise, like this isn't your like A list. <laughs> but the these best are working actors you could find. <laughs> these are like through and through a cast of really good actors and actresses. Yeah, with a stellar script, and this is what you get. It just needed Lakeith Stanfield. God damn it! <laughs> 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 I uh. I, I did see some other other parallels just outside of the film itself. Um, in the, at the very beginning of this movie, when they're setting the stage with all the coincidences and stuff, I don't know if you guys thought the same thing, but I was like, it, it was so hectic and fast that I was like, oh shit! Like I hope I don't have to remember any of this. Oh yeah, I was worried that I was like not going to be able to take notes fast enough. Yeah, like what did I miss? You know, I I actually I, I actually watched this movie twice. You can watch it a lot. No, I, like... I did it purely for trying to get plot notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd w- if I had to recap it all. I'd watch it again be. just to find all the 82s. <laughs> I know. That's what I was... I, half the film, I had to like remind myself, who cares? If you see the 82, you see it. But I was like every scene like scanning. I was even adding the scores up. <laughs> to see if, it was like, what was, if they were divisible or anything. <laughs> what was that little... Um, there was this transition from uh, Claudia's apartment where her mom comes to reconcile and it zooms into uh, the painting 
where there's like a little oh. embossed label. What does it say? It's like it these things happened. happen. It's or, it, but did know. it? But did it happen? Um, oh yeah. That was. I thought that was a. And again, uh, all up to interpretation by design. But I thought it was a nice little nod at the the surreal part of the movie because it's like raining fucking frogs, and then we <laughs> literally get a a line, a note that says, "But did it happen?" Question and mark. I, and I felt that was annoying that they had to nod at it. I like oh, salt it. shakers again. It is salt <laughs> shakers. It is one hundred percent goddamn salt shakers. I do want to say when it says raining frogs, you may picture like, you know, the idea of frogs raining down. They did a good job at making you feel as if you were literally having fro- frogs thrown. It was violent. Dude, like frogs when are that, exploding. When that first frog hit the car, uh, hit Jim's car, oh, I jumped. Oh, scared the shit <laughs> out of me. I shit myself right <laughs> <laughs> And then they just start hitting it. I'm just like, Jesus, it's like just explosions of frog guts and cars are slipping as they're driving over them. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And they're slipping on entrails after the storm passes. Yeah, like, it's just like, it, it's oh, so perfect because you're like, oh holy shit. When <laughs> that ambulance did not try to touch the brakes, though. They must have had such a bird issue after that. When all Donnie... The- <laughs> Pulled out of there, driving and crunching over frogs. I, I nearly <laughs> like threw spinning up. Spinning his wheels on him, they're slipping. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Yeah, that the the meaning of that little phrase, which was uh, sort of repeated with a variation by Seymour in his next scene. Um, it was like he said, like some things happen, or these things happen, or something. I it was Stanley. I couldn't. Yes, sorry, Stanley. I couldn't quite penetrate the meaning of that. Um, but yeah, that, that that was interesting. It's something I'm gonna have to think about. Well, so I could I could help you out a little bit. So Stanley earlier in the film, when he was doing his little um, library study sessions, where he he kind of said that he doesn't go to class anymore. All the teachers just mm-hmm. let him sit in the library and just study his own shit. Mm-hmm. He was going over um like weather phenomenons. Like it showed like cloud bursts. It showed like mm. uh, boobs. Like he was looking at stuff that's just crazy. Um, so then when that happened, it was kind of like, I don't know, I felt like he was just kind of, he studies everything and that's why he was asking about their weather, um, stuff is cause he was, that just happened to be the thing that he had currently been studying and raining frogs, like June said at the beginning of his podcast has occurred. And so Stanley saying it happens, this happens is just him just being giddy. Answering the question that yeah. was laid out. Interesting. Right. Okay. The, the caption that, uh, was on the painting was but it did happen. Oh. Uh, no, I, I, I'm huh. pretty sure it said, but did it happen? It's, but it did happen. Oh. So, no, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's 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 tough to think about. So, I mean, it, does that, is that in favor of Mike's argument that he's studying these weather phenomenon and this is, like, kind of throwing it back at the audience like yeah this sounds ridiculous but it did happen wow i think it's one of oh <laughs> i think it's one of those like surreal moments that we see sprinkled throughout that's kind of a director's touch um that just gives it a little bit of something i mean i i think it it, it it's more than just a, a director's touch in that like it's it's not just a little bit of flair it's this is what this movie is right mm. like it's it's not just like a embellishment. It's it's the structure of it. 
based on true stories. Yeah. I mean, it was a, this, this had a weird way of executing all of this. Like in a way it was, it kept pummeling you with it, but you didn't feel like it was like forcing it on you, you know? No, it's very tactfully drawn together. And on, you know, I think my response would have been different had I was watching this in theaters because contrary to what you're saying, I actually have no idea what really happens in the Bible. Um, so without <laughs> what you're not a man of the cloth, <laughs> you are supposed to be our expert. <laughs> without me having the ability to Google Exodus eight two while watching this movie, it wouldn't have been as clear. But mm-hmm. you know, like in the Bible slash the um the movie The Ten Commandments, <laughs> you know, like uh, another adaptation of a book. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. I thought it was a play. <laughs> no. um, God cast down a rain of frogs on Egypt. So yep. in my mind, I knew it was probably going to happen. And then throughout the entire movie, it's like it gives you weather forecasts literally during transitions, uh, scene transitions. There's one where it says like partly cloudy, 82% chance mm-hmm. of rain. And then... Uh, another one that says like the rain stops uh gloomy exterior or some shit yeah um so it like you 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 know normally i feel like we'd be bitching about that right like oh we get it like it's over the top but it really didn't feel like it no it's it's like i don't i'm trying to figure out how to explain it's just because i feel like it's not assaulting you with these things so when it does like drop like standard things i feel like they're like page breaks almost they're not they're not like see it is real or like it i don't know it's just really well done uh in the hands of another director it might not be like this but this this feels kind of strange to say but to me it feels like the closest point of comparison is sin city where the style and the action and the events are so beyond plausible and beyond realism like so you know in in the same way that sin city is an action movie that sort of because kind of the rules of the universe are established you know it's able to do crazy different things like you compare with the avengers which has like similar plots but maintains this veneer of realism you know like it it tries Uh to keep you in a certain suspense of disbelief whereas Sin City blows right through it. I didn't get any Avengers feel from this movie. No, no I'm not saying this movie. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Wait, where was Iron Man? <laughs> what, what I'm saying is this movie so intentionally pushes past your expectations that you kind of... Fuck, I lost my point. You fucking ruined it, Mike. <laughs> Alright, I'm sorry. Alright. This is my literal last note. I, I have them all marked off now. Um, the scene where Julianne Moore, or Linda, is meeting with the lawyer to change the will. I love that because I felt like the lawyer was the audience. And she's just berating the audience. Because she's like, I want to change the will. And he's like, you can't change. The- it's his will. Shut the and fuck she's up. like, well, I don't want any money. And he's like, 
okay, well then just say you don't want the money. We don't have to change the will. You just say you don't want the money. And then he goes to Frank and she's like, fuck you. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. She's like, I cheated on him. There, he's like, that's not a crime. Like, <laughs> he's like, He's like, you just need to go home. She's like, fuck you. Shut the fuck up. You know, Linda was was quite, like, unstable. Like, her, so she didn't, she didn't want the money. She didn't want Frank to get the money. So she kills herself. Yeah. I I was just laughing because the lawyer's like, get out of here. You, get, get, you're crazy. Take the money and shut up. <laughs> he doesn't even kick her out. She's She just storms out and he's like, let right. me call you a car. And she's like, no. Fuck you. <laughs> God. That scene was making me laugh your, so uh, hard. What's your guys' favorite characters in this? Mine was Donnie. I love Donnie. Like, the fact when he's in the bar and he, he drinks a <laughs> shot of tequila, and then he's, like, screaming at some old dude about how much love he has. My name is Donnie, and I have love to give. Yeah. And he like, looks like Loki Elton John. <laughs> what? Is Elton John also in the Hoffman Triangle? Ooh. Add it to your thesis. <laughs> um, my favorite character is Tom Cruise. I just can't get away from him. He's too much fun. He's too just awesome in this. I I hate that character, but I it, it makes oh, this movie. He's a disgusting human, but it's it's a great movie character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You love to hate him. Yep. Despite kind of the 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 least intricate or off the wall, I think I think Jim was probably my favorite. Bruce. I just like, oh, like Jim as well. There's like this weird innocence about him, and uh, he is fun to follow. Yeah, he definitely felt like the main character. Yeah, yeah. he's like straight up doing narrations and stuff, basically in a in a weird way. It could be argued he's the main he, character. Yeah. He he was the final. Uh, he is in the final scene, the final speech, last words. And he represents like the law and like and the beginning scene. Of yeah. yeah, he was the hey, he was hey. the alpha and the omega. <laughs> All right, June. He brought the frogs. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite character, Mike? Uh, probably what I said already, Donnie. Oh yeah, you did say that. Can Kara explain that? Shane, who is your favorite character? <laughs> Wait, no, I want to hear Mike's Jim. favorite character. <laughs> uh, probably Donnie. Oh, you mean Elton John? So is he in, is Elton John in the Hoffman Triangle too? No, oh no! But did it happen? <laughs> we need to get the fuck out of here. I'm sorry for taking us down this rabbit hole. What? A, um, uh, any last notes? Yeah. So the uh, I'm interested to know who everyone's favorite character was. <laughs> Just Mike's. The line you mentioned, Mike. Uh, he keeps saying like, "I have so much love to give," or whatever. What did everybody make of that? I can't really wrap my head around the significance of that line. I don't know. I kind of just pictured it as just his character's issue is that he's got love to give and he's not getting it. He's lonely, you know? And that's kind of the issue too with the men that Tom Cruise is guiding is they feel as if they have love to give, but women aren't accepting them, right? Even if it's not being channeled properly, that's kind of the crux of it. Oh, interesting. So, no, I, I think it goes deeper. I think, you know, it, it's not the only uh, theme in the film, but I think it's one of them that all of these characters are, or at, at least most of them, are looking for someone to, like, love and care about. Like, you know, John C. Riley Jim is looking for, you know, 
he he's been kind of alone for a long time and he's falls in love with this woman uh and claudia is also desperate for someone to love but like it's clear that she's convinced that um you know like anyone who finds out about her is going to or her her past or really present is going to reject her um i think tom cruise is still kind of reeling about the you know his his father and his mother um everyone is looking for reconciliation um yeah i I think it's a consistent theme through almost all of the characters that they have love to give to to someone but they can't find a person that will will handle it or they're holding themselves back in a way Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's there's some barrier between them and loving someone else, if that makes sense. Word. Or or Follow we're, us we're next all, week when we're we all watch kind Fast of... and Furious. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you like made a Fast and Furious comment. I was I was trying to I was trying to latch onto the depth of what they were saying. That's what you get, Mike. You fucked me up. Now you get <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> so how much money did this make at the box office? <laughs> if we're done with. Uh plot stuff i do have technical stuff i'd like to get into i yes, a technical it. resident person. tell us about uh pt anderson and his famous long shots are we ready go yes <laughs> um, we know this can't get cut because you edit it yeah that's true so first note um the opening and or ending scenes the the old school shots were actually filmed with a hand crank camera like a, a period correct huh. hand crank camera so why does that annoy me very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I then before some other ones, uh, the 82s that I noticed, we already mentioned the rope in the beginning. One of the prisoners or whatever that gets hanged has the number 82 on uh, his uh, on his chest. Uh, 82% chance of rain in one of the cuts. Mm-hmm. The the most glaring one, Exodus 82 in the, uh, the crowd that we mentioned. There's a dartboard. In the back of the uh, the bar that Donnie's at, uh, with a scoreboard on it that says eight two, like the mm. darts, the darts were on eight and two. No, the uh, actual that would have been cool, but the uh, like you know the scoreboard for whatever dart game, right? Uh, They're yeah, playing cricket or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, yeah, it says eight and two on it, and then there was one more that I don't want to sift through my notes for. Oh, uh, <laughs> during the uh, blackjack game, one of the guys that. Uh, is being oh, dealt. He two. says, "Yeah, he says I need a two. I need a two, and instead he gets an eight. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, but what's now going to the technical side of the things during production? It was like a game for the set crew to like hide eight eighty twos around, and so like, huh. yeah, everybody yeah. was like, you know, even the director wouldn't know about them. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and then to the the magnum opus of technicality and filming, the long shot. It's been a while <laughs> since we had a continuous long shot, but uh, this movie had it, and of course, Paul Thomas Anderson always uh, always fits it in somewhere. Um, this one was when it was uh, Stanley showing up to the taping of What Do Kids Know? It kind of goes through as he's walking through the whole studio, cutting between different characters and changing directions. It was like two minutes and 15 oh, seconds. Yeah. Very good, oh, very good. How long was the bar one? where Donnie's in the bar and he's staring at the bartender and the bartender goes over and then it rotates around and then it comes back and it ends at a Dutch angle. 
then it cuts. I don't think it's two minutes long. Yeah, yeah there was also it? one where they're driving okay. around, and uh, there's like all. It, it's what you'd use a drone cam for today uh, through the intersection is the cars and the ambulance is going through and it comes in on uh, Jimmy's wife. And I just noticed because it was super shaky. Yeah, it's because the man was on a kite. <laughs> kite cam. <laughs> <laughs> I like the scene where they did the drawings on the camera. <laughs> the, 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 the John Madden... Uh... Play yeah. thing, yeah. I remember that. Oh yeah, uh, the so guy jumping from here, the roof. Because he's gonna fall down and bang. Right there. <laughs> um, the character of Worm, uh, we never see his face. Uh, we only hear him mentioned a few times, and then I believe I'm not like a hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty sure that the dude that Jim chases in the rain was Worm. Uh, he is played by Orlando Jones. Huh. Yeah. Damn. Do frogs eat worms? Yeah. Hey. So a few other uh, bits and bobs about um, the uh, this movie. Any guesses as to the notable actor that played the What Do Kids Know director? I'll tell you. I've seen him a lot. No, I do know him. He's a, he's a, he's a opera singer. Not, not that one. The one that's, uh, I think, in the booth. Oh. Uh, mm. Robert Downey Sr., actually. Oh. Uh, Interesting. Credit as Bob Downey, a prince in the credits. And um, as far as some uh, miscellaneous about how this movie did, um, I won't even start as to how this movie got written. It seems like a fever dream to me. <laughs> uh, but um, so it. Uh, was made on a budget of $37 million and brought it $48 million worldwide. So successful, but not kind of the a blockbuster. Skin of its teeth. Yeah. I mean, in Hollywood accounting, that's practically a loss. Um, so, you know, like it's, it's hardly a blockbuster. Uh, definitely well regarded. Did not win a ton of awards. That's crazy uh, to me. Um, so we kind of briefly touched on this. Uh, so Tom Cruise was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was nominated for Best Screenplay, and Amy Mann was nominated for the song Save Me. But it didn't win anything. Uh, I wonder and if I, think I was just thinking about Best Actor, and I'm like, well, I guess they're all supporting actors because none of them are the star. That's true. <laughs> yeah, this, this is kind of a movie where it's hard to make a case for any one actor being, like, the main character and the best actor and yeah. you know if maybe it's john c Riley, but uh, he did well but it wasn't like an oscar worthy performance no. you know yeah. um and uh yeah so certainly well regarded but i think we are kind of getting to the point where many of the movies we're watching are like oscar winners in some category or another um so maybe by comparison this isn't quite as successful yeah, overall, moderately financially successful, uh, some modest uh, critical success. But now, you know, we come to the most important part, the uh, section where we rank it among the movies we've seen. I have a suspicion this is going to be an interesting one. You mean the question of why we think the film was named Magnolia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how could I oh, forget? We didn't even start. Why was this film named Magnolia? Taking any theories before we move on. 
I don't eight. know. I was going to say something, but then I was re- thinking of Matilda, so I'm just going <laughs> to... <laughs> the Danny DeVito film? <laughs> I, well, if I you, that's why I kept it quiet. If you, if you add up the the numbers of where the letters of Magnolia fit in the uh, alphabet, it equals 82. <laughs> that, that's just crazy enough to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I don't know. Um... What do you think, Jack? <laughs> so, <laughs> you made us talk about this. So, I want to see hmm. what you, you you think before giving some uh, generally accepted theories. So, there is uh, kind of researching about this film. Um, the director or screenwriter does describe the plot as blooming in a sense. So, that, that could be something... Um, the flower magnolia. This is kind of interesting. I wonder if there's some relation to the number of petals a magnolia has. Eighty-two petals. It, don't they grow <laughs> off a tree? Isn't it like a magnolia tree? It's not a bush. Yeah. So I guess that could mean something too, like this blooming coming from this branching tree. I don't fucking so, know. There's been a few interviews um with mm-hmm. Mr. Anderson, um, and he. To kind of keep the discussions going, he won't. He doesn't outright say, uh, which is cool. Um, but some of the theories, uh, I, th- I think the central street that a lot of the characters pass through is Magnolia Boulevard or some shit in the San Fernando Valley. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the other ones I read was the uh, the like the opposing petals of the magnolia and like how characters kind of there's it's they're in pairs so to speak. Uh, across hmm. a central theme, whatever. Um, Magnolia sounds similar to Magonia, which is a a fake place coined by some dude where things are kept in the sky before they fall from it. So, like, frogs would hmm. be in the Magonia before it falls or whatever. And then <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> it's funny Mike said that because... Another one that's out there is like Magnolia has an eight-letter word, and uh, yeah, the the two A's are the second and eighth letters, but like that is such a stretch. <laughs> I feel like these are getting progressively less and less plausible. Should I feel insulted? It's probably it's probably no. That's amazing. You rain man that shit. One thing that Anderson outright has said though is that uh, allegedly the bark of the magnolia tree can cure cancer. Um. All right. So he on. has he has mentioned that he doesn't even know, but not as he the direct meaning. It's probably the street. They're just like yeah, I don't know I, how to name this. Oh, Magnolia, I feel that's like pretty. these <laughs> theories parallel the movie, and that they get less and less plausible. Yeah. All right. This is this is like me writing <laughs> a like fucking it. poem, and then people being like, "Oh, you meant this." I'm like, "Oh yeah." Fuck off. Uh, according to IMDb, Exodus eight two is alluded to over a hundred times throughout the movie. Wow. Good wow. lord. And that uh, if you dialed the telephone number 877-TAME-HER, as shown on the ad, you'd get a recording of Tom Cruise giving the seduce and destroy pitch. One second. Hold on. <laughs> I, I doubt that still works. What put is someone it? Put it on, uh, someone put it on speakerphone. What is it? 1-877-TAME-HER. 1-877-TAME-HER. Here we go. One second. Oh, you already got it? It's calling. You already got it? Put it on speaker on your mic. Yep. Oh my god. It's gonna be good or bad. 
to America's hottest talk line. Guys, hot ladies are waiting to talk. Free? <laughs> Good for whoever does the marketing for that company. Oh, man. Shane, you're going to get so many goddamn robot calls. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so glad I didn't type it in my phone. Well, some questions are better left not answered. <laughs> That's fantastic. Great. Um, yeah, someone's a big note. fan of Magnolia. Hell, a marketing so, uh, director. Yeah, so I guess as um, yeah, hard hard to follow that one. But where where do we rank this movie among the ones we've seen? You know, and the outside of this project is we think we could do better than the the good people of IMBD. So now's our chance. We'll start with you, June. Where do you put this one? Oh man, I had some in internal struggles uh, with this one, and that was uh in a it was in a constant battle with Big Fish. Uh, wow. the, yeah, at the end of the day, though, I think it goes. It sits at number three, uh, between Big Fish and The Incredibles, for the for the sole reason that I left Big Fish with more of a reaction um, than yeah. than this movie. But I, it like, I mean, it is a Paul Thomas Anderson film for sure. Uh, it, I drew a lot of parallels to uh, Punch Drunk Love, and like. It, it it's this movie is often described as like kaleidoscopic and i think that's the perfect way to do it it's just there's so much going on but it wasn't as like invoking of a reaction as big fish so number three had you seen this one before i had not no okay all right shane who so i had not even seen it before i'd i'd seen the frog scene from somewhere probably like a hotel room or something but i hadn't actually seen the whole film yeah, it's high for me. And after June's said that, I was looking at The Incredibles and going, do I like The Incredibles more? Because I was going to put it at five, but I think I'm sway... No, because I like Kill Bill more. Okay, I'm going to do where I originally was. I'm going to put it at five, above Rio Bravo, below Kill Bill 2. But that just shows how good this film is. Like, it's easily top of this list. I loved it. I never I enjoyed all the characters, um, and it was just technical enough to keep you intrigued outside of the story, too. So, yeah, excellent film. Mike? All right, well, this is going to sound strange, but, like, I have a lot of gripes about this film. Um, that being said, it's at number six. So I guess that's high, but I don't like that. Like, it was it was a good movie, but it just, like, <laughs> it made don't. me upset. But I'm still on the high on the list, so it goes between her and Rope. I I love your reasoning, Mike. It, it makes me so happy because you're like, I'd rather dislike this film. Top ten. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. but I'm annoyed. I'm, you got to understand, like, I'm annoyed about something insignificant. That seems to be a common trend with every movie that you have an issue with. It's like you latch on to this insignificant thing. Like the salt shaker thing, I would have never even, but now every time I see one in a film, I go, fuck. <laughs> Don't patronize I gotta me. This, I gotta send the scene to Mike. <laughs> uh, I love it. So this was an interesting one for me. I'm not sure what I felt about it um, when I finished it, but as we've talked about it, I think it's been moving progressively higher and higher up 
And um, I think like June, it was kind of in a tangle with Big Fish for the number two spot. Wow. And I think for me, it won. Ooh. We have our first break. Well, I'm not putting really. this at number two, and I think for some of the same reasons, I liked her so much is that you know we could talk about this movie and peel it apart and dig into it in the same way. Like I came away with a different understanding this move of this movie after talking about it than I did when I finished it. Yeah, so. and I I suspect that this movie will end up pretty high. The, like it will keep climbing the list it will not drop way down in this list as it grows but we'll see i think just by the nature of this exercise nothing can climb the list higher than it currently is <laughs> so I, I, yeah it's how lists work typically <sighs> generally speaking <laughs> I, I i knew what you mentioned yes thank you <laughs> so overall the final verdict do you recommend watching it june Yes, absolutely. The uh, I think this has been our longest recording to date. Um, and if for any other reason, it's that like w- we can't really do this movie justice by trying to explain it. You know, you have to absolutely. see it. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Shane? Yep. Yep. Just us talking about it just says how much is in it. So, see it. Mike? Yeah, I'm actually surprised that I've never seen this film. It seems like one that I would have seen. It's like Fargo or, you know, all the Budapest hotels, stuff like that. Wes Anderson's like a pretty good movie. I think it's definitely worth a watch. I'm telling you, this movie is if Wes Anderson had real issues with his dad. (laughs) (laughs) A really sad Wes Anderson. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I'd say watch it. It's it's a time investment for sure, but it's worth a watch. Well, that, uh, I think that's four yeses across the board and uh, generally high on our list, which doesn't happen often. Um, next week, or whenever we release the next episode, we'll be talking about The Sound of Music, where the hills oh. are alive. Fuck. This one's for you, Jack's mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll appreciate that in six months when this episode airs. Hey, don't tell the timeline. Breaking the, breaking the wall. All right. Oh, I'm so excited. Sound of music. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs>